You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Essentials. Essentials. And over the next six weeks, as we move through Colossians, the end of chapter 3 and, and chapter 4, we're going to be talking about the essentials of the Christian life. We're going to talk about how to use our time. We're going to talk about the essential of talk and how that works with one another. We're going to talk about the essential of sharing burdens with one another and the essential, the absolute vital essential of making sure we have Christian uh, friends in our lives, people that will hold us accountable to Christ. In other words, we'll talk about who we are making our associations with. We'll talk about that. Hope you won't miss a single Sunday. Now today we're going to begin with a, an essential that we're calling work. The title of the message that's been on the sign this week is Dealing with Work. We all have to work. Think about tomorrow, right? You know, don't remind me. Right. Work. How is work? Is it good? Is it bad? Does it stink? Do you have a bad boss to get on your last nerve? And you got, yeah, yeah, I know. I don't want you to think too much about it. You'll get in a bad mood, okay? But we're going to talk about that because work, if, listen, would you agree like me that you spend, if you're still working, you're, you haven't made it to retirement. I don't know that I'll ever make it to retirement, but uh, you're still in the working world. Do we not spend more time, more of our waking hours with people we work with than with the people that are our own family members? Is that not true? And so work is, a, I mean, it, it can make or break us in how we feel about life. We're going to be talking about work. And oftentimes this passage is taken and it's described in a, in a kind of a venue of, you know, employer, employee, and boss, and, 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 and workers and all that. And it is that. We're going to see some of that today. But it has an even greater context. And I want us to be able to see that as we look at this today. And we're going to pick up in verse 22. And we're going to look at, at, at the application of work today. Have you made your way there? Colossians 3 verse 22. The Bible says, bond servants, that's, another, that's a fancy word for slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, you don't just work when, they're, when the boss man's watching you. But you do this with sincerity of heart. Do what? You work. Why? Because you fear the Lord. Verse 23, so whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You may have heard me put it down a moment ago. Did you hear what I put down? What does that sound like? It's a chain. It's a chain. Now, if I put this chain around my neck, what does that make you think of? Huh? Yeah, a slave, right? If you see a human being with a chain around their neck, you think of a slave. Now, now what we just read about is a slave. That's what it says, bond servant. Now, we think of a chain, and a chain is so strong. A chain is, is it, it feels, you know, impervious. It feels unbreakable. And when we see a, a human being with a, with a chain around their neck or their bodies, we, we think of that whole institution of slavery. 
You know, there was a lot of slaves in the first century. Did you know that? In the Roman Empire, in the first century, there were about 60 million slaves. Now, let me put that in context. That is one out of every five citizens, one out of every five citizens in the Roman Empire were slaves. Do the math on that. That's 20%. Two out of every 10 people were slaves, one out of every five. Gets even worse if you lived in Italy. If you lived in and around Italy, around Rome, it was one out of every three citizens were slaves. So this is a big, big deal. So what we see written here is going to apply to a lot of people. Bond servants, slaves. Now, I know how it is for us. When we think of slavery, what do we think of? The 1800s? We think of uh, Abraham Lincoln, the Emancipation Proclamation. We think of slavery as in America based on race. That, that's not what it was in the first century. It, it was not based on race. We mustn't think of first century slavery in the same way that we would have thought of slavery in the 1800s in America. Slavery was so common in the Roman Empire that people would actually sell themselves into slavery. You go, what? Who would do that? Look, don't think of cotton fields in Alabama. Okay, this is first century Rome. You live in Philippi. You owe a debt to somebody. Now, if we owe a debt and we need more money, what do we do? Yeah, I just get another credit card, right? No, hope not. But in that day, if you owed a debt to somebody and couldn't pay it, you actually could sell yourself into servitude to that person. And you would work for that person as a bond servant, as, as a servant, until you paid the debt off. Now here's what's interesting. Back in that day, in the first century, slave labor was used in every area of Roman life except for the use of public office. Slaves were often mixed in with free laborers and employers used whatever means necessary to fulfill their job needs. Interestingly, many of the slaves in the Roman Empire were very well educated. This is what's astounding. Slaves in that day were actually, the more educated they were, the better it was for the master. Because the master would place many of these slaves in very, very high positions of authority. It's interesting, as I did some research on this, there were men and women who were slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century who were doctors, lawyers, architects, engineers. It, it, is, it is astounding because there would be men who would even own a small town or a village and they would employ you and, and you would serve them as, let's say, the town doctor or the town engineer. So, so again, we, we almost have to pull ourselves away from from what we know of is slavery and to understand that it was quite different uh, in the first century than it was, say, here in the 1800s. I know here in America that we think of those cotton fields and factories and those uh, deplorable uh, you know, positions that so many people were placed in. Um, so many slaves were treated in such terrible ways. But that wasn't always the case, not even in America, and certainly wasn't the case and wasn't the standard in the first century in Rome. Many of the slaves, as we would call them slaves or servants, were or treated rather well. More on that in a moment. But I want you to think about, we need to think about context as to where we are. 
Where are we here? We're in Colossians chapter 3. We're at the end of the chapter. And we're talking about slaves and masters. So where does this fit in context? <clears throat> well, what have we been talking about for the last five weeks? What? A Christian home. And so what have we seen? Mutual submission between husbands and wives. We have seen children who are taught, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And now we get servants and masters and the servants are told to do what? Obey. You see how this fits in line? You see how this fits in this whole context of, of mutual servanthood and servitude within the family and then the children obey the parents and now we have, of course, because it's so prevalent in the first century, there needs to be a discussion about what if you're reading or hearing this letter read at the church in Colossae, which is a Roman town, and you're a slave. What do you do? How do you put in contact, context your lot in life? It's more about obedience. Look at verse 22 again. See it in your Bibles. Bond servants, slaves, obey how much? In everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now church... Some people read this passage as we begin here in verse 22, and you know what? They got a problem with it. And they got a problem with the Apostle Paul. And they say, Paul should have done something about slavery. Well, what about Jesus? I mean, Jesus was on the earth some 40 years earlier from this writing. Should Jesus not have had some sort of picket sign that said abolish slavery and created the, the disciples to have some sort of social justice to walk around, abolish slavery, abolish slavery? What was Paul's job? Hey church, what's our job? It's not to say that we can't be involved in, 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 in political endeavors, but what's our job as believers? Christ lit the flame, we just sang about it, He lit the flame to do what? Be social justice warriors? No! To be champions for Christ, to be ambassadors for Christ. When we run a flag up our flagpole, what should fly is the word Jesus. For so many people though, it's something else. And people, they start complaining about the Apostle Paul. Can, can I remind us what, what is this book? I'm holding a Bible. What is this? It is the Word of? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Paul, Paul wrote, yes, this letter to the Colossians, but he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, much as a stick is carried along by a creek. You ever thrown a stick into a creek? The stick has no control where it's going. The creek carries it along. Listen, the Apostle Paul was a stick. So were the other 39 authors of Scripture. Carried along, not by a creek, but by the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit would take. See, the Word of God. This is theonoustos. Theo, God, noustos, to breathe. This is God breathe. So when you're, you and I are reading Colossians chapter 3, we're not reading the words of Paul. We are reading the words from the mind of... God! This is God's Word, so don't cop an attitude about what Paul did or didn't do, should have done, what Jesus did or didn't do or should have done. This is the Word of God. So you say, well, what are you saying, Pastor? Should they have not tried to eradicate slavery? Church, 
Do you know how much political power Christians had in the first century? Huh? How much political power did Christians have? None. Zero. They had no power. Nobody would listen to them. They, they, they were at best, Christians were considered a sect, S-E-C-T, a branch or offshoot of Judaism, which the Jews hated. And at worst, they were seen as scapegoats for Nero to be thrown into the Roman Colosseum and fed to lions. They had no power. It wouldn't have mattered if they'd have marched. They could march all day long every day. They had no power, no political presence. So what should... Christians do? Well, the exhortation is for them to serve the Lord Jesus. Now, I like how Warren Wiersbe describes this. Warren Wiersbe is a great Bible commentator. I've got his, comment, uh, his commentary on the New Testament um, and the Old Testament for that matter. But I want you to see the screen. See, see what Wiersbe says? He says, while it is good and right for Christians to get involved in the promotion of honesty and morality in government and society, speaking of like social justice, this concern must never replace the mandate to go into all the world and preach what? The gospel, that's our job. Go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, and while we go, we can do other things along the way. We can, we can fight for certain causes and so forth, but don't ever let the cause get above Christ. That's the point. And we need to try to grasp that as we're reading this passage. In fact, it's interesting as we read this passage, this is revolutionary in the first century. To be told that you as a slave are equal to your master. How about that? You know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no socioeconomic status. There's not a place for poor people and rich people, a place for slaves and masters. There's not a place for men or women or boys or girls, and it's one's elevated above the another. It's, the ground is level. And so this is revolutionary to even read this, to be a slave and hear this. In fact, we're going to come together on Wednesday night. We have our first Wednesday coming up on Worship Wednesday on March the 4th. It's coming up. And I hope you'll come out for that. That's a week from this coming Wednesday. And we're going to talk about a runaway slave. His name is Onesimus. And in the New Testament... One of the 27 letters that we have in the New Testament is a letter that was written to a slave owner. What? Yes! We have a letter in this book written to a slave owner. You know his name? Philemon. Look it up in the front of your Bible. You'll see his name, Philemon. He was a slave owner. But don't think of 1,800 slave owner that he's running some, you know, you know crop shares on, on some farm in Alabama. This is, a, this is a man who literally housed the church in Colossae. Philemon. The church was meeting in his house. And we're going to see this. And we're going to see the Apostle Paul describe to Philemon that you had a slave. His name is Onesimus, and he ran away from you. And Paul encourages Philemon to forgive him. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. It's, it's going to be a powerful evening. And so I hope that you'll, you'll mark your calendars to come on Wednesday evening, March 4th. I hope you'll come on Wednesdays. You say, I don't normally come on Wednesdays. Unless you're providentially hindered, you're sick, or you've got to work, come. Be a part of what the Lord is doing here. I believe you'll be blessed. Now I want to show you one other quote I read I thought was really good by, by commentator John Stott. I like reading Stott's commentary. See the screens? 
Stotts right. He says, while we cannot defend the indolence or cowardice of Christian centuries which saw this social evil, slavery, but failed to eradicate it, we can at the same time rejoice that the gospel immediately began, even in the first century, we were singing about the flame was lit, and to, lit to undermine the institution. It lit a fuse. What did? Christianity, which at long last led to the explosion which destroyed it, that being slavery. Eventually uh, slavery would be destroyed in many places in the world. In Europe, slavery was destroyed by a man named William Wilberforce. In the United States, again, we have the Emancipation Proclamation signed by Abraham Lincoln in 1863. Church, you know that slavery still exists in this world. It does. All kinds of forms of it. Church, can I, can I ask you to think in the future for me for just a moment? Let's think about if the Lord Jesus does not return, let's say for another hundred years to this, to this earth. And so the United States is a hundred years from now. And it's not 2020, it's 2120. Is it possible that Christians living in America could not be seen in a positive light? You know, it's happening more and more today. Is it possible that a Christian living in the year 2120 might read this passage in Colossians 3 and be a slave? Be put in prison or jail or servitude because that person believes in, in, in the context of marriage in a certain way that goes against the culture or about sexuality and gender or about it's, it's a baby and not a fetus. And You understand? Could there be some of the crazy nut jobs in our world that finally get a hold of the political power and put Christians in slavery? It's possible. I hope it doesn't happen, but it's possible. And the point is, is that if a Christian has access to a Bible and reads the Bible and that happens in America, they'll know what to do. You understand? When a Christian who was a slave heard these words, how encouraging and hopeful it was to them, even though their lot in life was so hard and so negative perhaps, Look at verse 22. I want you to see this again. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters and don't do this by way of eye service and be some people pleaser, but you're to do this with sincerity of heart because why? You fear the Lord. That term eye service is only used by the Apostle Paul here and in Ephesians 6 when he describes the same thing to the church at Ephesus about slaves and, and, and masters. Eye service, what does that mean? It means you only work hard when the boss man or boss lady is watching. How do you work? Do you work hard no matter who's watching? Because do you know who is ultimately watching? The Lord is. That's the point. He says, fear the Lord. Don't just worry. It's, it's like a kid who doesn't start cleaning their room until they hear the footsteps of mama coming down the hall. I better get at it. I've been on Snapchat for 45 minutes. It's time to clean out that uneaten sandwich underneath my bed. You go, that doesn't happen. Oh, yes, it does. Do you work hard? Or only when people are watching? That phrase there, that last phrase, fear the Lord. That's, that's, that means Jesus. And don't see that in a negative way. Jesus loves us and he's watching over us. And that's a good thing. But he's also watching to see how we're going to work. Because we don't work 
just for that boss man or boss lady, or maybe it's a student. Maybe you're at school and you're actually, you know, you're working for a teacher in essence. Watch this, verse 23. Look at it, Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, catch that now. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That phrase heartily means to do it with a soul of enthusiasm. How do you work in your job? You go, I sure ain't working with a soul of enthusiasm. I promise you that. I understand that. How many of you have ever had a job where you absolutely just were, were in a very difficult situation and you had a, an unfair and an unjust boss? Anybody? Yep, me too. How many of you ever think back to your school years had a teacher that absolutely could not teach? I mean, I mean, they were a good person, but you could not understand what they were teaching. You studied, but everything on the test was neither in anything they said, and it wasn't in the book, and it wasn't in your notes, and you were frustrated like me. Anybody? I made a C. Only C I ever made in my life was in production operations management at Appalachian State University. And I went to the professor and I said, here are all my notes. I wrote everything out word for word. And here's the book. I've studied everything in this book. I've never made a C in my life. You're not teaching anything. The test is not what's here. <laughs> it was so frustrating. And he didn't care in the least. And that really bummed me out because I worked my tail off. And made a C in that stinking class. Only C I ever made in my life. And I didn't want to break that record. But he didn't care. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's frustrating when you're working for somebody that's out of your control. It's frustrating. When you're responsible, and yet there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So what do you do? Crawl up in the fetal position and quit? Mm-mm. Because you're not working for men. You're working for the Lord. That's the point. I had uh, years ago, my first job right out of college was, was with Broyhill Furniture in Lenore. And I want to show you, um, th this is not the actual vehicle, but take a look at this. You, what does that say? I had, a, I had a bumper sticker actually that said that. What does that say? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus. I remember walking out in the parking lot, been working there a few days at Broyhill Furniture, and some of the guys, we were going to lunch, and, 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 it was, and I had a little Chevy Blazer, and I had that on the bumper, and, and the guy goes, what is that? Is that yours? I said, yeah. He goes, I don't understand. What does that mean? I said, well, Jesus, I, I, I don't work for Broyhill Furniture. He's like, well, I mean, like, I'm crazy. I said, Jesus is my boss. Ultimately, he is my ultimate. That's the point. And that is the point, church. Whatever your lot in life is, what, whatever the circumstance or the difficulty is, see past it. See past that unfair teacher or that unfair boss and remember Jesus. Because he's going, hello, hey, you're working for me, not him, not her. You're working for me. Serve me. One time I had a boss well, I'll tell you, I, had, I worked at a place called Ithaca Industries. Anybody ever remember Ithaca down on 268? I worked there for nine years. I worked in the credit department, rose up, and ended up becoming the uh, assistant treasurer of the company. My boss was the chief financial officer. I went to his office one day. He called me in there, and he handed me a floppy disk. Y'all remember floppy disks? I don't know. They weren't very floppy, but that was a hard piece of plastic about that big, right? He said, uh, we got a bank meeting with Nations Bank 
next week. Said we'll be flying down to Atlanta. That, they had the big Nations Bank building, and the, the 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 floor at the top it circulated at the top. It was pretty awesome, pretty cool. That, back then it was just Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. That's where the Braves played. Didn't have the new stadium, and I remember going up there and how cool that was. But here's what here's what the CFO asked me to do. He said, "I need you to plug a number for me." Now, plugging a number is where you, you take a, a model and you don't let the model generate what the number is. You actually put it in what you want it to be. I said, well, what do you want me to plug? He said, I want the DSO to be the day sales outstanding to be 39 instead of, I mean, 34 instead of 39. Now, let me explain what that means. Day sales outstanding is um, you, you sell a product and then you're trying to collect the money. And so if you drop the number of days it takes to collect the money, you get the money in faster. So it actually makes, you can meet your loan covenants easier. And so that's, that's, so he said, I said, I said, I called him by name. I said, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We, we, were, we were just down there the last quarter. You, you can't drop five days of DSO in one quarter. He said, in, in flowery language, plug the number. <sighs> Handed me the disc. I said, I can't do that. I, I'm a Christian. I said, you know that. He said, you think about it overnight, you come back and see me in the morning. I went home to my little house in Ravenwood that I owed $64,000 for. Two small kids, living check to check. You remember when you first got married? You remember? I mean, still for many of us, we still live check to check, right? And I looked at Pam and I said, I'm toast. I said, because I'm not plugging that number. I said, Pam, if I start here, I'm, I, it's, I can't do this. She goes, I'm good. And I, was, I, I hardly slept a wink. I remember, I remember thinking, the Lord spoke into my thoughts, and he said, Kevin, Kevin, rest. He said, whatever happens, you're mine. He said, Kevin, I put the stars in their orbit. Your situation's not that hard for me. It's just not that hard. Trust me. Went back in the next morning, walked in the man's office carrying the floppy disk, and I said, I've thought about it. I can't do it. I was waiting for him to say, hit the door. Grabbed it from me, turned around to his credenza where his computer was, plugged it in, opened it up. I saw him. Three, four, save. I took it. I said, uh, do I still have a job? And in flowery language, he told me I still had a job to get back to my desk. But what did I know? I knew I could not work at that company any longer. I was not going to work for leadership like that. It was only a matter of time, and it was. Ithaca went out of business. So I didn't know what I was going to do. So I started getting the Winston-Salem Journal. I started getting the Charlotte Observer, and I started canvassing everything. I thought, well, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to whatever. Man, I was, and I, I don't know how y'all, I started worrying. Oh, you're not supposed to worry, right? As Christians, I get that. You know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God will pass. I get all that. I still was worried. Went to the Y, went to watch a young man play basketball, asked me to come watch him play. He's playing basketball at the Y, and I walk out and I run into a man, a man that goes to our church now, a man named William Church, owns a company called Appalachian Lumber, and he offered me a job. And I ended up going to work for him and a little branch of his business called the Hardwood Company, and the rest is history. And now I end up ultimately getting here. See, God had it all along. He had a meeting set up at 
the YMCA in the lobby. That's why I like that song. YMCA. <laughs> you just never know. See, th this is act one. This is what we see going on at, back here. But if you know anything about a play, act two is behind the curtain. Some of you, somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody may be watching today. There is stuff happening. Trust the Lord. Don't do that which is wrong just so you can get ahead because God will not bless that. And then you're operating on your own resources. Then, then it's, you, you don't get help from God. He says, hands off. You're, you're, you seem like you've got that handled well. All I had to do was punch 34. No. All I had to do was stand for what's right. You may be in a situation like that. Maybe you're in a place of employment right now that what you're being asked to do is wrong. I'm not telling you. You know, you've you got to think all this through in your head. You know, and, and maybe you're in a situation where it's hard right now. Maybe you're in a situation where, where it's, you're not asked to, be, to, be do, to do something unethical or illegal, but it's just really, really hard right now. I mean, you're being overworked and underpaid, and you've got all this stress on you. Pray about it. Pray about it and say, Lord, what would you have me? If he releases you, then fine. But, but until he does, bloom where you're at. That's the point. Whatever your situation, whatever your lot in life, even if you're a bond servant, bloom where you're at. Don't cop an attitude as a Christian and start cussing and belly aching and what a sorry boss that is and I'm, I'm quitting, I'm leaving 10 minutes early. What a, because you don't work for him. You don't work for her. You work for the Lord. You do the right thing and it's an even greater example when you're in a tough situation and you still do the right thing and they go, man, that's, that's really something right there. That's really something, what they're doing, even the way they're being treated. And the Lord does that in us. Yeah, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. He still is. See, I know the Lord will provide. That's Colossians 3.24. See Colossians 3.24? Because, see, we've got an inheritance coming, church. Here's our inheritance. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What is our inheritance? You say heaven. It is. But ultimately, heaven is the place where we will experience and live out our inheritance. Our inheritance is salvation. Our inheritance is the fact that we're joint heirs with Jesus. We get what he gets. How about that? No, maybe it's a hard thing right now. Maybe, you've, maybe you're a student here. Maybe you're somebody watching a young person, an adult, and it's just unfair. Keep serving the Lord. Keep seeing Jesus waving over their shoulder. Keep serving me. You say, but it's not fair. I get that. I do. And there, there's a payday someday. You ever heard that old song, there's a payday someday? There is. For the just and the unjust. See the Bible? See the screens? Colossians 3.25. Yes, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Yes, God is not partial. There are consequences for those who do right and for those who do wrong, no matter who they think they are. And we close with chapter 4, verse 1. You say, why are you going into a whole other chapter? Because I believe that, that the chapter dividers got this wrong. See, the chapter divisions, are, it, it's not, this isn't divinely inspired as far as the chapter divisions. There were no chapter and verse. That didn't happen until the 1500s. Did you know that? Chapters and verses came in the 1500s. It makes it easier to find stuff. 
right? So if it were me, I would have verse 26. But for whatever reason, they jumped into chapter 4. Is in your Bible chapter 4 verse 1 kind of mashed up in there with verse 25? So is mine. Really would have been better to just have verse 26 because we're still talking about masters. We've been talking about slaves, now we're talking about masters. And so here's what it says. Masters, Colossians 4 verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants, your slaves, how? Justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Our master is the Lord God. See the capital M. So listen, maybe you're here today and you're the boss man. You're the boss lady. You're the person in charge. Be just. Be kind. Be thankful. You say, well, they work for me. I get that. But you can still be kind. You say, they get a paycheck. I'm not, listen, have you ever been thanked too much? Have you ever been just encouraged too much? Me either. A lot of times people who are in positions of authority, they wield their authority, and part of that authority is I don't have to say thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that don't go to church. You know why they don't go to church? Because they work for a Christian boss who's a jerk. A jerk. And say, so ain't no way I'm going to church with that person because I know how he or she acts on the job. And it ain't like he acts at the church when he's in the parking lot or in the building. Don't let that be you. Be kind. L listen, here at the church, we have a small, small staff for a church our size. So you know who we rely on? You. You. Volunteers. I'm constantly begging. Can you help on the parking team? Can you help serve coffee in the back? Can you help out here in the front? Can you help coach a team? Can you help serve concessions on a Saturday? Can you help at flag football? Can you help at the independent celebration? Can you help see, you know, over and over again? And so you know what I do a lot? I thank, I thank people. I just think that's important. I, I just think that's so important. I drive, I drive in every, every Sunday morning. I drive in with my window down. I don't care how cold it is. Because I thank these security guys. It's cold as all get out out there. And I drive by and say, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for staying out here and freezing your buns off. I appreciate you. Thank you for serving coffee in the back. I don't ever drink coffee back there. I'd be burping up here on stage. But I walk back there and I say, you know, thank you, Miss Sharon Wilcox. And, you know, thank, thank you, the Heacock family or, or Cynthia Brame or whatever. Thank you. I thank you, Kevin Bounds back here serving on our medical team today. And, and Bryant Reed. And I, I appreciate, I thank you for what you're doing. You know, we should thank people. How hard is that? And it's free. It's free. But when you thank somebody, they go, oh, that feels so nice. Thank people. Thank the people that work for you. It's an important thing. Don't have two sets of rules either. Don't you, don't you despise it when you see a boss man or a boss lady, they got one set of rules for the people they like and another set of rules for the people they don't particularly care for? You know what that breeds? Animosity. Be the same. Be kind. Be just. Why? The end of verse 1. See it? The end of verse 1. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Did you know I'm a slave? I'm a slave. You say to what? Mount Pleasant? No. You say to your wife? No. To your kids? No. To Jesus. I'm good with it. You know why I'm good with it? Because he bought me off the auction block. He bought me at a price. See the screens? We were bought at a price. You see that? You were bought with a price. The price of his death on the cross. So glorify God in your body. You say, well, then you're not free if you're a slave. Oh, this is the oxymoron of it all. 
This is, this is the oxymoron. When you become a slave to Jesus, you become free. And if you're not a slave to Jesus, you're in bondage. Back in the first century, you could decide once you paid your debt, let's say that you've been a doctor for some guy in some town and you've paid off some debt to get your education. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm removing this from you now. And you don't have to work for me anymore. The debt has been paid. Did you know that a servant could decide to stay with the master? And that's that phrase, bond servant. Here's what that means. You, as a slave, say, even though the debt has been canceled, I choose to stay with you, the master. And what they would do is they would take their right earlobe and they would allow it to be put up against a doorpost and they would drive a nail through it called an awl, A-W-L. And then you would be given a signet ring that had the signet of that that master, and you would wear that in your earlobe. So when anybody saw you, they would know that yes, you had been set free, but you had chosen of your own free will to stay with the master. That's a bond servant. Jesus set me free. And I said, chain me. Chain me. Put chains on me. I'm yours. I'll do whatever you tell me to do because you're my master. You know what's interesting, church? We'll say this and we'll close. It's interesting that in our culture I've found that the very people who claim to be the most free are the ones who are most often enslaved in their lifestyle. Oh, I'm free. I can do this and do that. No, you're actually enslaved to your lifestyle. It could be a lifestyle that the Bible calls sin. It could be drugs, alcohol, sex, your body. It can be your work. It can be a person. You say, how do I know if I'm enslaved? Well, let me tell you how you know what you're a slave to. It's what you can't get enough of. It's what you think about the most. What do you think about the most? What dominates your thoughts? That, that's, that's tending to drive us to where the slavery is. Not that any of it has to be bad. It's not bad to work a job. It's not bad to have a hobby or a career. It's not bad any of that. But when they take precedent over Jesus, it's easy to be chained to that. Jesus came to this earth and he was treated worse than a slave. They killed him. Why? So that he could set the slaves free so that Jesus could rise from the dead and then those who would receive him by faith could be set free. And so the chains of sin can be dropped so that the chains of bondservant can be put on. And I serve the Lord Jesus and he is my master. And he, he is my boss as a Jewish carpenter. And so if somebody tells me to plug a number, I can't do that. You work for me! No, no, actually I don't. I work for Jesus. And he wouldn't want me to do that. You're going to lose your job! Well, that's okay. Because he put the stars in heaven and this just won't be that big a deal for him. I'll be okay. Do what you got to do. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.